Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, my guest is James Ashford. James is located in Doncaster in the UK. He's not an accountant by trade, but has devoted his professional career to helping accountants and bookkeepers price fairly, sell more confidently, and grow more profitably. As the co-founder of GoProposal, he has implemented a sales culture to ensure members are maximising the value produced for their clients. Besides his work at GoProposal, James has great passion for sales and service in the accounting industry. He has produced videos, webinars, podcasts, books, and conducts keynote presentations all over the world. Welcome, the great James Ashford. James Ashford, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks for having me. What's an English summer like outside? <laughs> Unusually hot. We've not had sun for a long time, but now we've actually got it. Apart from the weather, is it nice to um, lose the mask and a bit of normality starting to restore? Yeah, I reckon so. Like, you still got to wear a mask in sh- shops and things like that. But like, we went away recently and uh, we sat inside in a restaurant and then it kind of occurred to us that we'd not sat inside in a restaurant for like 18 months and it was just a weird experience. And, and what's the vaccination? How's all that going where you are? I'm vaccinated, but I'm an over 40, Stuart, so I get, I've had it now. So I think they're moving down into the 30s now. So, they, yeah, they're moving through it. They, they're doing well. They're doing good. We're a little bit more liberal in Nevada. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's a bit weird, right? Like they, the sign says, you know, if, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. Right, okay. But then you get all into this libertarian argument of about, you know, how do you prove you're vaccinated and, Things were meant to relax here, and that was a big announcement, and my son had a school prom planned and stuff, and then Boris has announced that it's going to be another four weeks, and so that school prom's cancelled, and so, yeah, everything's delayed a bit longer. Your wonderful company, which Carbon has has a great integration with and a great partnership with, tell us a little bit of the story about GoProposal, and and perhaps let's, let's even venture earlier than that, like another couple of guests that we've had on the Accounting Leaders podcast, you weren't an accountant to begin with, or even perhaps a product designer by by background. But um, tell me a little bit about your story pre pre Go proposal. I studied product design, and that was my thing. My claim to fame was I designed a toilet, and it kind of got quite a bit of fame in the UK. It was kind of on TV, and without kind of doing a demonstration for you, Stuart, it allowed you to kind of raise your knees up to kind of assume more of a squat position, more of a, an eastern position on the toilet, yes. There's a few startups doing, uh, perhaps you were before your time, there's a, there's a few startups, you know. Yeah, there's some good, so, so I was a designer, and then I left uni, uni and kind of did loads of things. So I was a close-up magician, I taught art in prisons, I was a, you know, worked in pubs, as a manager of a pub, like just done so many, so many different things. It's a bit like Forrest Gump, like, like my mate said, my flat's free in London. I live next door to Liam Gallagher. Do you want to move down and be a magician? I'm like, yeah, cool. So it kind of just went like that. And then my wife said, we moved back. Well, my, she wasn't my wife then. She was my friend then. She said, would you move back to Doncaster? I said, I don't, I don't even move back if you marry me. She says, you're the only person I'd ever marry. I said, right, I'll move back. We got married. So it was just kind of like that. And uh, worked for a couple of companies. The recession hit in the UK. I got Mary Dunham from both those companies. We had our first child on the way and I had this brainwave, which was, Becky, I know how, how I'm going to make loads of cash and have loads of free time. I'm going to set up my own business, right? So this was it. So I set up a marketing agency and it was a good little business. It was nice. 
it wasn't really a business. It was kind of a job with three assistants that I had. It wasn't like a systemized business. I was very much drawn into it. But one of the, the challenges that I did overcome there was how do you sell your services to a client? Because I hated that part where you get to the end of the meeting and you're like, right, I'll send you something through. And it was always, I'll send you it through by close of play on Friday. Friday would come and go. You send your apology. You've let your client, your potential client down already. And then you send a proposal off and we were web designers. So there's all these weird terminology in there, SEO and all these things that a client doesn't know what the hell it means, right? And then the price is not quite what they expected it to be. And you've got all these backwards and forwards. And I just hated that process. Like I'm a Northern, I'm from the North of England, just used to kind of just saying things as it is. Let's just get the deal done. Let's just get it agreed, right? So um, I developed a fairly straightforward way of being able to sit with a client easily present my services fees, discuss it while I was with the client. And at the breakthrough moment came when I was in the meeting, this woman pulled out a credit card and said, right, take the deposit. And I was like, shit. I'm like, so I kept it coming. Like, yeah, no problem. I walked out of the office, shut the door, went, Megan, figure out how to get some cash off this now. <laughs> so I went from leaving the, leaving a meeting with a headache of having to produce a proposal, no agreement, no confirmation to leaving the meeting with everything confirmed, everything agreed, and a deposit and a start date. And it was a massive kind of truncating of that process. And what I realized then was it, it had huge knock-on effects of that in the business because it allowed us to take control of the client relationship. It showed the, the quality of, of how we deliver things, the speed thing, which we can do things. It raised the standard that was the, the seed of what then became several years later, Go Proposal. Do you miss the marketing industry? I started doing websites, Stuart, because I liked designing and I felt that it was something I was in control of, that we could just, you know, have a design, produce the thing and be in control of the whole whole process, right? So I never saw myself as marketing. I was just doing websites. And then a client would say, well, I've got a website. How do I get people to it? Well, now they're getting to it. How do they buy my thing? How do they, how do I sell more to my existing clients? So I just became fascinated with the whole sales and, and marketing process. And that was kind of like 10 years ago, just been on a massive journey in terms of kind of really trying to understand it as best I can. But, you know, when it comes to sales and marketing, to my mind, the way you start any relationship is the way you start every relationship. And we can get convoluted with kind of what is the best form of marketing? Should we do this? Should we do that? And to my mind, I'm interested in timeless principles that are the way that any relationship is formed, you know? And so I never had anything like Tinder or anything back in the day, right? Okay. I was old school kind of courting, chat up, taking for a drink, walk, coffee shop, cinema, you know, like gradually building that relationship up, like old school, right? where kind of, I think people live in a more of a swipe left, swipe right world. But to my mind, relationships need that process to build up. And it's the same with marketing, selling your services to a client. Like there is a journey that you have to go through. There is a courtship process. You have to build trust to get them to the point where they want to buy to, from you. Yes, you have to help them to make that decision. But I think people, when they think of marketing they're still very, and sales, they're still very much in this swipe right, swipe left mentality. I forget his name, but he's a top car salesman in America. He was Joe Girard, and he sold six times more cars than the second biggest car salesman in America, right? So his entire strategy was, I'm not interested in selling you this car. I'm interested in selling you your next car. 
I'm interested in selling your kids their cars. I'm interested in selling your wife their So you've come in the door and he's interested in selling, you know, supporting you and your family and removing the worry of car worries for the rest of your lives. Like that's a long-term relational strategy that he ha- has and it works. And just so many businesses are just, just think so short-term, like get the deal, move on. It's the equivalent of somebody running around my town, running into every bar tonight saying, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? And eventually some mentalist will say yes. Do you know what I mean? But that's not how you do it. That's not how it's done. <laughs> well, perhaps post, <laughs> post-COVID it might be, right? <laughs> I get all that. I get all that. Do you think, and this is slightly rhetorical, but we'll, you know, bear with me. Do you think that accountants are great at the, the relationship, the long-term relationship game? I think when anyone starts in business, Stuart, and, and I, I do not claim to be a business expert at all. I'm a student. I'm work in progress. But like when you start in business, any business, you don't know what you don't know. And you think that you've got your craft and your skill and that's going to be enough to get you through. And then you start it and you're like, hang on a minute, I've now got to recruit somebody and I've got to train a member of staff and I need a system and a process. And I need to make sure that I can deliver this service the same every time. And and now I've got to get clients in. I've got to sell to them. And shit, I've got to get my legal side right. Like there's all this stuff you've got to do. None of that's in the CPA exam. No, no, that's it. That's it. So it's not to blame them at all. They don't get shown it. So they get shown, you know, they get trained in their craft and their skill of how to become a great accountant. But it's not enough to run a great accounting business. There's so many other skills that that need to be learned around that. I think an accountant can have some challenges in the, the ones that I've met and work very closely with, they tend to be very logical people and they have a curse, which is that they want everything to be perfect and they're always looking for what's wrong. Now that makes them a great accountant. Like if I give you a set of accounts, I need you to find everything that's wrong and I need you to make it perfect. The problem then is when they apply that thinking to setting up a new process in the business, it's never going to be perfect. And so they can be, they can stall in this type of thing And then when it comes to sales, sales can be very emotional. And if their natural default position is is one of logic, then they need a different approach. And there's a lot of sales psychology out there. And I don't like, there's not a lot of it that I like because I'm just a practical, simple person. And I like things that I know just work. And so that's what we've built our entire methodologies around. And really these methodologies come, come from agency background, the marketing background, don't they? Yeah, sure. But I think, you know, I've got my bookshelf behind Stuart and I've always just been very interested in psychology, not in in great depth, but just kind of practical psychology of understanding people at a very good level. And it's, it's not to learn it to be able to manipulate people at all. It's about how can I better understand you so I can then better help you and, and, and ultimately help you to make the right decision for you. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. And so it's about giving you the information that you need so you can make the best decision for you. It's not about being, I'm not into any of this weird sales psychology pressure. Don't buy into any of it. Okay, so how did you go from toilet to agency (laughs) to... Magician, you missed magician out. (laughs) So let me tell you why a magician is an important step. So I've got no sales background, but I used to have to walk up to a group of, 12 people at a wedding at a table who didn't invite me to be there. Like we had a famous magician in the UK called Paul Daniels and he would just kind of belittle people and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a warm, 
character, right? And so people's kind of thought process about magicians is they generally hate them, right? So they didn't ask me to be there. They hate magicians. They don't believe in magic. And I had five minutes to convince them that magic was real. That was my sales gig over and over again. And at a wedding, right? There's always one table. If you think back to any weddings you've been to, your own wedding, there's always one table. It's the table furthest away from the top table, furthest away from the bride and groom. And it's all of their mates from school, right? All of the piss heads that they just want away from their family and they put them in the corner. There is a code amongst magicians that is leave that table to last and hopefully you can get away and out the door without having to do it. My methodology was leave that table to last Make them think I'm avoiding them, but I'm not. I'm just going to destroy them when I get to them. So that was my, because what they didn't know is that I knew where that table was two weeks before I turned up to the wedding and knew who the worst person on that table was. And I knew their phone number and I knew they were, where they were sitting before I turned up. So I'm turning up like, Hey, how you doing? You don't know me, but I fully knew who they were and I was ready for them. So just that research, I guess, and preparation. So, so sorry. So I, I interjected. That's the magical piece that's important. And what was the best story from big fat drunk bloke at the back table? There was one guy. So the trick with the phone number is that you do this card trick and it looks like it's gone wrong, right? And you say, oh, Stuart, I've really messed this trick up. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to practice it. So you look like an idiot, okay? The moment you do that, everyone drops the guard and, like, and they start laughing and stuff. And then you say, look, I'll practice it. I'll give you a ring. What's your phone number? And then they look at the cards and it's spelled out his home phone number. And he was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, so anyway, we had some really good banter. Anyway, I carried on throughout the rest of the trick uh, through the tables. And his wife came up to me and said, he thought it was amazing. He gave you some stick, but he thought it was amazing. But he keeps saying to everyone on the table, there's no way he'll know my mobile number. He says, just so I've written it down for you. There you go. So I got the mobile number, set the cards up, put them in my back pocket and just forgot about it and carried on doing the rest of the tables. And he shouted me over, he went, hey pal, come here. He said, that trick was brilliant, but I bet you can't do it with my mobile number. I said, let's give it a go. So I got the cards out, did it. And by this time, other people are kind of standing around and the place just erupted and he stood up and hugged me. And like, So I hope that he t- tells that story. But just the idea, like people think that magic isn't real. I know we're going off topic here, but magic is real. Like the trick's a trick, right? but it creates a piece of magic in that person's mind that they deep down want to believe and that magic then grows. So hopefully he's somewhere retailing this story of this great magic act. Maybe he keeps going to weddings looking for you. (laughs) Yeah. But I think your question was, how did I get to the accounting industry? Is that right? So the marketing agency that I had, and this is just an important step to note, Stuart, the marketing agency I had ultimately failed. And that business failed for various reasons. But when we reflected back on it, I mean, I kind of did a bit of an autopsy on it. You just shut it down at, at some point because you... Shut it down. Correct. Yes. And when it, the reason why it failed and I couldn't carry on with it was because we got to the point where we were making no money and I didn't realize the state of my finances. I My accountant was giving me 18-month-old data that I was kind of historical data, but I had nothing to make decisions about in the future. So I just made all these stupid decisions, like silly things, like a client coming to me and saying, I love the project. I want to sign up, but I can't pay for it all now. Can I pay for it over 12 months? And I'm like, yeah, sure. If it signs you up, not realizing that I'm now funding his project for 12 months, which now means I need 12 times more work initially 
to cope with that. So just silly, stupid financial decisions that if I had a budget and a forecast and a set of management accounts that told me if I was on track would have prevented me from getting to the point where when my blindfold was lifted, I was on the edge and going over, right? So we shut that business down. We handled everything very well. And and that was that. I then worked as a business coach in different businesses, solving the problem that I had solved, which was the, the sales and payment process. And I was going into different businesses. And each time they had the same problem. Like, how do we sign up clients? How do we agree services with them? Whether it was a landscape designer, a plasterer, a waste management company. And every time it had a big impact on that business. And I found myself working in bigger and bigger businesses, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of revenue companies having an impact on them. And then eventually met an accountant at an event. We met a few times and we had a chat and I said, I'll I'll come and see you. And uh, he was a great guy, Paul Barnes, very accomplished firm, you know, very systemized, very well researched, very entrepreneurial in his thinking. And I went to sign up with him as as an, to be my accountant. And we got to the end of the sales process and uh, he was using another product at the time to produce his engagement letters. And he also needed a spreadsheet to accompany it. So he had his, all his prices in his spreadsheet. And then we got, so we were able to agree the fees, which was good. But at the end of the meeting, I said, right, where do I sign? And he said, it doesn't work like that. We have to send you a proposal and an engagement letter. This is triggering your, <laughs> your PTSD <laughs> from previous days, right? Yes. Yeah, that's it. So I'm like, leave it. He's told me he's a cloud expert. He's told me he's a digital expert. He's told me he's going to save me time. I'm now back on the train. So I live in, just for geography, I live in Doncaster here, which is in Yorkshire, which is where God's from. And I had to travel two hours that way to Manchester, where it rains all the time. So that's your geography lesson, right? So I got back on the train and just kept checking my phone, thinking he'll send me it through soon. So I got back home, got back to my wife and she said, how did it go? I said, it's brilliant. She said, how much is it going to cost? I said, I told her, and it was three times more than my current accountant was charging. But I just knew that this was a great firm, right? So I told her the price. She's like, oh my goodness, what are we getting for that? I'm like, I have no idea, but it sounded brilliant, okay? So these, she then said, I think you should speak to some other people and get a second opinion. Rarely do business owners invest at the right level into their accounting function. So anyone that you're now going to go and speak to is always going to be paying less than they should be paying. So everyone kind of talks you out of it. So by the time Paul did send the engagement letter through and proposal, which looked crap, three days later, I've already... I'm not into it anymore. And the original experience, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what you say to someone in a sales process. People will judge you based on how you make them feel and based on what you do and what they experience rather than what you say. So you can say, I'm a digital cloud expert. I'm going to save you time. Well, then you fa- but you failed to get me a proposal within three days and you've wasted three days of my life, right? Because I just want to sign up and do this. So it doesn't matter what wor- words you say, it's, it's what you actually do. But I was able to say to him, look, we, we have solved it. I've solved this problem previously, you know, the businesses. And I was able to implement this kind of primitive version of what ultimately became Go Proposal. We took his pricing methodologies, which was very smart, and we loaded them into the system. And then another accounting firm heard about it and said, from Leeds, which is like a now that way, and said, uh, I've heard about what you guys have got. How do I get it? And then that was the spark. You know, this this concept, this idea, Stuart, had meandered through s- several businesses, several industries, and every time refined, tweaked it slightly till it got it found its way to the accounting industry. 
And it just landed right because it, it uses logic rather than any sales psychology. It's like, look, based on everything we've said, this is what you need. This is the price. And if you don't want to pay that much, not a problem. What do you want to take out? Like there's no bartering, no sales. It's just, this is it. So there's lots of, you know, horizontal proposals of say, you know, Panda Doc, all this sort of other stuff. Why do you think accountants or the, the certain vertical, the industry, whatever, need something tailored just for them? What is it about you know, accounting, the industry itself, yeah. that, that makes it special, that, that it needs software just, just for them? Great question. So accounting services are complicated, okay? The businesses that they serve are complex. The difference between something that's complicated and complex is that something that's complicated can be understood and it can be figured out. Something that's complex can only ever be managed, right? So the best analogy of this is traffic and a car. So a car is complicated, but ultimately you can lift the engine up and you could read and learn about how an engine works. Traffic is complex because you have different people going in different directions at different speeds with different experience for different reasons. And so that's the difference between what's complicated and what's complex. The accounting industry is where the complicated, their services, meets the complex, aka businesses. And it's in that intersection that there is so much room for errors to happen and for for scope to creep and just money to leak out and so many issues there. And so what you need is a spreadsheet works very well because you need that level of complexity with formulas to think about all the different nuances and different ways of pricing services, you know. And so what we've been able to do is to take all of that complexity and make it sophisticated. And this is something that's really important, I think, Stuart, that I think you'll agree with, is that I'm really systems focused. Okay, I've got a great book here called The Starfish and the Spider. Stuart's brilliant. It's a great book. So it talks about how the difference between a starfish organism and and a spider is that a spider has a central nervous system. So if you damage the head or cut the head off, the spider dies. A starfish has a radial nervous system. So if you cut a starfish in half, each half grows a new half because each part of it understands how the rest of the organism works. So what this book talks about is starfish and spider organizations in the business world and all sorts of things. It even kind of gets into terrorism as well because what he says is like like Hitler and the Nazi party was a, a spider organization, but it's fine, kill the leader and it dies. But the new form of terrorism is a starfish organism, and but we still operate in that way. So you guys, Trump sends over whoever, well, Trump, but kills Osama bin Laden and nothing happens, right? It doesn't change anything. Sorry, that was a bit of a bleak moment in in this talk. But the better conversation, I guess, is around how, if you look at the music industry, the music industry was a spider organism in the fact that it was, you know, Sony had all the power and then Napster came along. Now Napster wasn't truly starfish because it still had a head that could be killed, but it was kind of half and half. But then something else set up, I can't remember what it's called, it's donkey something that was truly starfish because the music files existed on everyone's computer. So you could destroy the central database and it carried on. If you think about what, what you guys do with Carbon and what we do with Go Proposal is we, we attempt to turn accounting firms into true starfish organizations because we try to take the knowledge 
of the the owners or the partners, and we try to put the power into everyone's hands. Now, you don't actually want a true starfish organism, but you don't want a spider. You want a hybrid of the two, whereby the business owner and the business leader is kind of directing what that should look like. So they'll be directing what the processing carbon should look like, or they'll be directing what the pricing should be. But once they've got that, it's then give the power to the people. So when I first met Paul, he was the only one doing proposals and renewals, but he had 13 members of staff. I'm like, what are you doing? There is no way that you can be recalibrating clients' fees because back to your point, if you think the issue with accounting services where the complicated meets the complex, well, that changes all the time because they've got two new members of staff this month and they've got 20 more transactions going through their books and a new director and the legislation's changed and we've now got something called furloughing in the UK and it's like, it's constantly flexing and changing. So if you don't empower everyone in that firm to be able to recalibrate the client's fees and scope on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, whatever's needed, it's always what would start out right is going to get worse and worse. And that's why we've always connected. And, and when we've talked about these philosophies, this is our belief. And it's the reason why 17-year-old Sam in our firm, who's an apprentice, can significantly increase a client's fees in a renewal meeting because he has the tools and the trust to be able to go and do that. I get the spot. I understand the starfish. And what you're saying is, is that when the complex meets the complicated, you need a particular system in order to solve for those issues. What makes accounting different to marketing or, well, let, let's put it a different way. What do you think about the verticalization of software over the Mondays and the Asanas and the, the horizontal offerings? Do you think that we're going to get more and more and more and more specialised across all industries or are we just barking up the wrong tree and, and that, that accountants can use anything and, and marketing agencies can use you know, horizontal software in their business stacks so that you know, because it's cheaper and easier and, and all of that. H- how do you think about that? There's nothing stopping an accountant using an Excel spreadsheet and, you know, inputting things into Microsoft Word and producing a proposal, but it doesn't kind of fit in with all those other things I said. But, I, you know, there's no reason why they can't do that, I guess. But I think there are additional complexities. You know, we've talked about there about the price and, and how we agree certain services, the importance of being able to do it there and then because they're complicated, Stuart, you know, especially in the States, like you guys have got all these weird and wonderful terms for all these crazy things, right? And so because it's a unique language that accountants have, just like marketing have have a unique language, but you guys have, you know, accountants have a unique language. If you don't agree that in the meeting, the client goes off and they've no idea what those things are. And then they, you wonder why they've not signed up for things, but they've no idea what they've got, what they're looking at. I don't know what this means. What I still don't know what a P11D is. I live in the UK. I sign one every year. I don't know what a P11D is, but I have to pay for it. Right. So we have all these things that, so we need the ability to be able to do it at speed. And the other thing with accountants as well is, you know, there's huge legislation around it with it, with an engagement letter. The construction of engagement letters is highly complex. And so that's another part of it as well. So, for example, in the UK, if you service a charity, there is 504 versions of an engagement letter that you would need, depending on what type of charity it is, why you're producing the accounts, what type of... It's crazy, right? And so the chances of someone, 
if you're an accountancy firm, you'd need to be a large firm with a compliance department to be able to generate the right one. What we've developed in Go Proposal and with our new product of Oversuite, and this is true, and I've got to do, and I will do this video. Scarlett, my 10 year old girl, can produce an engagement letter for a charity that is absolutely nailed on in under three minutes. So that is the video that I want to do. And so it's about, you know, the, the legal complexity, the sophistication around the pricing, the speed, the communication is all very key. But I think the thing that makes accounting also unique as well, Stuart, is that it's a relation, it's a relational service. It's not a transactional service. You know, and this is the other reason why it's so important. Like you could mess up a transactional service and you may never see the person again with accounting. Like it's so close. It's so heartfelt. You're effectively like dealing with the lifeblood of a business. If that goes wrong, that business is going to die. Like it's that, it's that critical. And you've got to deal with that client month in, month out, hopefully for many, many more years. And so that adds to the importance of getting this right. No, I agree. So we've just defined why vertical software is going to continue for long into the future, but particularly the what I what I reckon, James, is you know, there's so there's so much software now, right? Like there's a new there's thousands of new software developers every day. There's hundreds of new entrepreneurs every day looking for niche or not niche, looking for problems to solve. Luckily for you and I. Not many of them do it in the accounting industry <laughs> because it's just not that sexy, right? But, you know, with increase in, you know, regulatory compliance and the reliance from governments also, you know, look at COVID, you know, what did you guys have? Australia had JobSeeker and JobKeeper. The US had PPP and EIDL and had to deal with the SBR, you know, like it just goes on and on, right? So if you're you know, a five-person firm, you rely on people to take care of a lot of those issues for you in the systems that you use. You can't build a practice and worry about these tens of thousands of regulatory aspects, the language that you use, the engagement, you know, whether the engagement that you offer is compliant or not. Like if you're worrying about that stuff, there's no, there's no time to make money at all. Yeah, that's it. And do, do you know what I found in this space, Stuart, is that accountants, bookkeepers, CPAs, they care so much. Like they genuinely want to serve. They genuinely want to help people. And very often that can be their undoing because what they've got is a client, an accountant, I don't know, a client ringing them up saying, I'm worried about paying my staff. I need to do this. Can you please help me to do this? I've got to get this furlough thing sorted. And the accountant was just like, okay, we'll help you. So we'll do the work. We'll figure out a price another time or, or they'll never get around to charging them. And they justify it to themselves that they're helping that client. But what they don't realize is that not only they're not getting paid for extra work, but they've now just exposed themselves to risk. So here in the UK, I saw something in the news. I, I, I didn't pick it up because I just glanced at it. But it's about now, like the government are starting to do audits for why did those companies get furloughed? Why did them staff get furloughed? And should that money have been allocated here? And at some point, someone's going to get blamed, right? If, if it's been done. So, and the, the natural book is going to stop with an accountant. Why did you help this person to set up furlough when their company shut down three years ago and all their, they, they were randomly employing all their family or whatever, right? And so if they don't have 
the correct engagement letter in there to afford them that protection, not only have they exposed themselves from a financial point of view, but they've massively exposed themselves from a risk point of view. Now, what you could argue, Stuart, is that, well, they're protected, they've got professional liability insurance, and they'll be able to cover it off that way. Maybe their professional body will protect them, and maybe it will. I'm never one to kind of scaremonger and say, you're going to get hit with all these fines and lose all this cash, right? But I'll tell you what you will lose, time you will lose so much time trying to resolve these problems that for the sake of getting the correct letters in place in the first place would have prevented you from it. I know of a firm and they were acting for an, a man and wife company and only the husband had signed the engagement letter, which was fine until they were getting a divorce. And now the wife wanted to know why had all these decisions been made, why the husband been allowed to make all these decisions or do things when she wasn't involved and she never had the signature on the engagement letters. All it came down to, right? So anyway, she tried to sue them. It got rejected. She went to the professional body. They kicked it out. It took the accountancy firm owner 250 hours of his time to resolve the problem that one signature would have resolved. 250 hours of unpaid, stressful time that you have no choice whether you're going to do it or not. It's crazy, man. Shut down and... A marketing agent to become a magician. <laughs> if you go on YouTube and search for Magic Dad, I teach seven magic, eight magic tricks that you can go and learn today and impress your kids with. Well, we have to do a webinar. <laughs> next, next, we'll have to do a webinar. I'll, I'll go and learn. Don't give me all eight. Just, I'll, I'll try one. I'm not very good at any of that stuff. So <laughs> maybe we'll get Rita to <laughs> Where do you see the, the industry going over the next 10 years? I mean, COVID's sort of shaken things up. What's next for the industry that you see? Is there any is there any sort of tech trends that you're looking at, and and what then? What's next for you? Yeah, so you know, there's the, what you explained there, and that the COVID's that, that are shaking things up. There's new legislative changes that are coming here in the UK that will further shake things up as well. You guys have got Pilot in the U, in the US that will head here at some point, which is you know changing things. They're a bookkeeping firm that have gone and raised a shit ton of money that are attempting to, you know, take the person out of the, you know, the low value work, right? Like there's a couple of them. There's, there was one in, in Utah that just massively blew up like a year or so ago and there's a couple of others. Do you think that the computer can take out a lot of the, um, the low end work or is, or is that a furphy? It's not a fear. I think it's really interesting. Like we've looked at them because I'm a director of an accountancy firm as well, Stuart. Like I'll tell you what, I think they've done brilliantly well is their communication of their offering. Their website is so succinct, you know, and so we shouldn't look at these these things as kind of threats. We should look at them and think, how is this a gift to us? What can we learn from this, you know? And also if you go down that line that you're talking about, you look at the adverts from the large software companies you know, the accounting software companies that if you was to believe the adverts would believe that you don't need any of that because it's just a click of a button and everything's going to happen. So everyone's trying to, you know, talk about that, which I think creates a very interesting position for the accountants and bookkeepers because they've now got to really communicate their value and articulate, well, why do I need you to run payroll when I can just press a button here and submit it? Or why do I need you for my back return? It's just a click of a button, isn't it? So I think that's very interesting and, and you've now got to learn the skills required to show why why they need to work with you. To my mind, and I speak to lots of firm owners and I also speak to firm owners when they're really struggling 
when they've really hit a wall with, with certain things as well. To my mind, accounting services is always a will always be a, a heart service in that you always have to invest emotionally into your relationship. There's very few relationships that you could have. I guess if you was completing a very simple, straightforward tax return, I mean, do they even exist? You know, and even if if you think if you're trying to convince yourself that you're going to do that, you know that you're going to have to be chasing those clients and ringing them up and getting the information that you need off them. So it always requires a, a human emotional investment. And especially if someone's serious about a business and about growing it, you know, the emotional connection to every single client. And that's one thing I talk about in some of my deeper conversations with accountants. It's all right thinking about, you know, what that person is paying you and how much time you invest in that relationship, but how much energy are you investing in that relationship? Because every client you have does require that level of energy, you know, to put into it. So to my mind, I think technology is continuing to increase and it's brilliant that it can, you know, automate lots of the tasks. But to my mind, then that just means that the firms have to upskill themselves more on the human ability to reach out. Like in our firm, I get a member of staff and they'll be like, James got this problem with a client. I'm like, what's the issue? And they'll send me an email exchange with like 17 emails in. And I'm like, why didn't you pick up the phone here after the first email? Could have solved it. So we need to learn different skills to be able to cope with the advancements in technology. But I just find it an interesting, exciting challenge. What about you? What's a proposal is, is obviously hammer, hammering along really nicely. You've got yeah. lots and lots and lots and lots of clients in the UK and starting to, to pick up some in other countries, I'm sure. What, yeah. what are you thinking about global domination for Go Proposal? <laughs> Yeah, that's the plan. I always say to my, t- this is a Conor McGregor quote that I stole, but we're not in this to take part, we're in this to take over. So that was always kind of my mission. And and also, as well, you talk about like all these software vendors and people coming out with software. We never started out, this will be the quote you can use for the podcast, by the way, this will be the head of the quote. But we never, this is true, we never started out to make software, we started out to make a difference and to genuinely restore the balance in the relationship that accountants have with their clients. We're not just interested in helping the accountant to make more money and get what they deserve, which we are, but I'm interested in helping them to serve their clients to a higher level, to help their clients to avoid the position that I was in because I wasn't investing enough into my finance function. You know, I didn't know that I needed all these things. And I don't think the accountant sold me the things that I needed either. And to my mind, to be able to sell your services is your ethical obligation. You know, you need to help your clients to buy these things. Now, I mean, we spend a fortune on our finance function, our business, and I'm I'm a big believer in investing. It's the most important thing you should be investing in your business. So that's always been very important to us to help to to create these win-win relationships between clients and their and the accounting firms. So the big innovations that we've got coming with GoProposal later on this year is going to be around the concept of live proposals. So whereby they can flex on a much more regular basis and that will be data-driven as well, Stuart. So we already have this functionality to a degree. And this, this was an interesting webinar that I watched recently. And it was about the difference between a digitized product and a truly digital product. So what they talked about was like in banking, you've got an analog bank where you walk in and you get a check and you speak to a teller, right? Then a digitized version of that was, well, they just took the bank statement and they stuck it online and now you could see your bank statement online. But then Starling Bank came along 
and started to kind of, I get a notification saying, James, you've not got enough money in your account and you've got your car payment coming out tomorrow. Like it's live useful data. And that's a truly digital version of it. I noticed it myself. I've got an electric car and we we drove to Devon the other week, which is a, I didn't want to put the kids under the undue pressure of having to recharge along the way. So I got my brother's big Beamer X5 thing, right? And it's got one of those head-up displays. Do you know where it like projects the, the speeds, right? So what I thought was interesting is your old speed speedometer on the dashboard is an analog, but what BMW have done is they've just digitized it. So it's still an analog display, but it's just now a screen, but it's still got the dials on it. So you're looking at it, it's a bit stupid, but it's just a digitized version of the analog dials. But the head-up display, that is a truly digital offering because it's showing your speed next to the, the speed limit on the road that you are now in. So you're in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, and the speed you're going is 36. So it's live data coming in <laughs> that's informing what's going on. So what Go Proposal is, is it kind of straddles being a digitized product and being a truly digital product in that we do bring in this live data. But the next step is that we're going to be doing moving to a truly digital product where we're pulling in a lot more data from different sources to give the accountant a complete view at any time so they can see on one page all of their clients that are out of scope and so that with one click they can recalibrate all of their clients' fees. So, you know, you've got two extra members of staff on payroll then that fee will be adjusted. And I know a few firms that are kind of trialing this, that we've kind of cobbled it together in a way, but they've just got these live proposals on a monthly basis and the growth they're seeing is crazy. And it just ensures the relationship stays fair. So that's what we're moving into. And the team are doing brilliantly well. So it runs without me. GoProposal runs without me. This week, well, two weeks ago, I was on holiday. This week, I'm building a greenhouse for my mum. So me and my dad are building a greenhouse. The tea, every now and then I'll check on, I say, I'm like, are you sure you don't need me? Are you sure you're all okay? So the team are doing brilliant things. What that frees me up to do, Stuart, is stuff like this and and think ways of impacting more people. So obviously I launched my book, the, rever- the new version of my book this year, which is the highest rated book in the accounting space, by the way, in practice management, just hashtag just saying sorry and then i'm, I'm going to start my new book so i've got a new one coming which is about diamond mining and how accountants are sat on diamond mines but the problem is is that diamonds don't look like this so the problem is they're sat on diamonds and they're all looking for these diamonds and when their clients don't look like that they go in search for them but that's not what diamonds look like diamonds look like this they're lumps of rock and they need to be polished and shine shone up and turned into this and that requires effort and work but it's about the fact that you are sat on diamonds, you just don't know it and don't look like it. So that's my next book. And to your point as well, the UK has always been our main focus because it's kind of just been easier because it's on our doorstep and they understand my language and how I talk and stuff. But we've had great traction in the US, in Australia, in a couple of non-English speaking countries as well in Europe. And so we are really gearing up for those territories. I spoke to Heather yesterday. The US has been our biggest sign-ups in the last kind of two months. I'm not quite sure what's happened. Maybe it's doing things like this with you guys. But we're, we're getting the most traction. The most sign-ups last month was from the from the US. And we've just got a new video done, an animation video. And we've internationalized it so that when you come to our website, you're not just going to hear an English accent. But, you know, the idea is that you'll have an Americanized journey through our product and so 
you know, we, we've always been tailored for those markets, but just making people feel that we're tailored for those markets much more, you know. Well, James, I've taken up more of your time than, than we planned. I massively appreciate everything, our, our partnership and, and all the work that we get together. Congratulations, you know, on your success and the success of Go Proposal. It's an amazing bit of software that uh, and set of procedures and policies and engagements and a massive amount of content that you produce is a testament to your success. And, and I know the feedback from firms when we talk to them about putting Carbon and Go Proposal together is, is always amazing. So congratulations on what you've been able to achieve so far. I, I look forward to, yeah, to, to working together into the future and, and often and regularly. Definitely, man. You know, our members are constantly kind of talking about how that, you know, the combination of GoProposal and, and Carbons work so well together. We get them, you know, if you think about it, you, you going into a firm, how can you impact that firm? Well, the first thing you've got to do is control their profitability. How can you get them charging for what they do? And then once you've got them making money, the next thing is how do we now manage efficiencies, deliver great experiences and, and GoProposal and Carbon just work really well together. But it's not just the technical fit of the products, which works so well, but it's the philosophies as well. Just, you know, what we believe, you know, fundamentally from a core values point of view, Stuart, about developing long-term relationships with our clients and their members and things. That I think that's where we really align as well. No, exactly. Thank you so much for your time, James Ashford. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.